to another week of Beckett's Babies. I'm Sarah Cho. And I'm Sam Collier. And today we have a wonderful guest on the show. We have Regina Morones. She is a Native Bay, Native Bay Area actor, singer, educator, a resident artist at San Francisco Shakespeare Festival, and a company member at Ubuntu Theater Project. This summer, you can see Regina as Rosalind in San Francisco Shakespeare Festival's Free Shakes in the Park tour of their original musical adaptation of, of As You Like It, running July 7th through September 22nd. So welcome to our show, Regina. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for woo-hoo. joining us. Yeah. Yeah, woohoo. Oh, and woo-hoo. we should also say, um, <laughs> as with many guests, we, uh, Regina also went to the University of Iowa, which is where woo-hoo. we met her. Hot guys. Yay. <laughs> um, okay, so we like to start often by just asking you to tell us about your earliest memory so that we can get a sense of what your life was like before theater. So what's the first thing you remember? The first thing I remember, ooh, that's, that's, that's weird. It just took me to a moment where um, I remember getting lost at a, no, we were, we were, we used to live about three blocks away or four blocks away from um, the elementary school that I went to here in Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were walking home once, one like really close to summer towards the end of the school year. And I have four siblings and my mom. So there was always a big group of us and we were all walking home and I was like, got distracted looking at something. And when I looked up and I must've been like maybe four or five when I looked up, I didn't see anyone. So I'm like walking down the street, like freaking out, looking for my mom and I couldn't find them. And then I get to my house and no one's in the house. Oh my gosh. So then I'm kind of freaking out like, where is she? And I I think I went in the house because I think the back door was open. But then I felt really weird because I was by myself. And then I was like, where is everyone? I freaked out. And then I started walking back towards the school and I found my mom and my mom didn't even know I was gone. <laughs> she was like, you know, talking to some other mom from the school. And she, they were literally standing on the other side of the school. Like I just didn't look back or I didn't walk back yeah. far enough because it was like a huge, you know, block. It's on the same block. And I got back and I was like, oh my God, mom, you left me. She's like, no, I didn't. I was right here the whole time. What, did, what <laughs> happened? Like, what are you talking like, about? Yeah, she oh didn't God. even know. And I was like, okay, well, that was my dramatic moment of being lost. <laughs> so but like you had this whole experience in the time yeah. that didn't and, mean anything to them, like Rip Van yeah. Winkle or something. It was, yeah, it was really weird because I remember everything became very amplified. Like I remember there was a, the sound of this this like airplane passing by mm-hmm. and just like specific kind of sounds that for the summer like you really don't pay attention to like people talking on the sidewalk just kind of weird when you when I think of like avant-garde theater or avant-garde film and you and they focus on sounds and lights and like these uh, abstract things Mm -hmm. is what it kind of felt like it kind of slowed down and I felt very alone and almost like a uh, one of those old school um, Twilight Zone films where all of a sudden (laughs) they're like where am I what's happening you know it was wow. it was weird and not yeah. fun in the moment, but yeah. Getting lost, I think, is such a it's like a big part of being a little kid. Mm-hmm. It's like that mm-hmm. experience. Yeah, yeah even really if it only is. happens one time. Well, it happened more than once, but that was yeah. my, my very first, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> first memory of oh, it. Man. 
when I was young, I got lost in Disneyland. Oh my <gasps> Me god! Too. And, oh my god! I remember I was like walking around, looking around, and I grab someone's hand, thinking it was my dad. I look up, and it was not my dad. <laughs> no. It was just some random old dude. He was like laughing at me, and I was just like, <gasps> "Oh no!" And I'm like running, and I was just <laughs> running through Toonland or whatever. Um, so flash forward, your what drew you to theater and acting? Well, as kids, since there's so many of us, mm-hmm. we were it was very competitive at home in the sense of getting attention just from your parents. I'm I'm like smack dab in the middle. Mm-hmm. I have a twin brother mm-hmm. and I have an older sister, and then I have two younger siblings. Oh, I didn't wow. know you had a twin brother. Yeah, yeah I have a twin brother, oh, and that's so cool. which is pretty cool. It was pretty cool growing up, but we were like right in the middle. And, um, so some, you know, the, the baby always gets a lot of attention and the older sister is like the one that does everything first, good or bad. So they get a lot of attention. (laughs) (laughs) So in the the middle, you're kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place. You're like, what, what do I do? How do I, um, so when we were younger, we used to entertain each other. We used to do like this, um, we used to do like catwalk shows for each other and my brother would dress up in drag and we would all like, you know, just, you know, he would make, make us laugh and then we would make each other laugh and just dance and do like silly stuff like that. Mm. But um, one summer when I was nine, because there were so many of us, my mom was always finding free stuff for us to do, whether it was music stuff with music, music class or theater or whatever. So this year she found this community theater not too far from our home that was offering really discounted theater uh, summer classes. So she put us in that. And that's where I really kind of, I was always really shy and really quiet. Um, I was, I was like the tattletale. I was the one that was always like snitching on everyone, (laughs) (laughs) but I I guess that was my way of getting attention. I was like the bitty two shoes. But then when I started doing the theater, I just found that I could become someone other than myself initially was the attraction to it that I could, go on stage and I could say these words and be someone else and had the permission to kind of just like explore a different side of myself that I didn't feel like I I could, I didn't have the space or the room to do in my own home and it with friends at school. It just, Mm. it just kind of brought out a different side of me. And I think out of all of my siblings, I was the one that really gravitated towards theater and the stage and, um, even though, you know, my parents and stuff that came to see the shows, they were like, wow, it was like, I've never seen that side of you. It's like, you're, you were a different person. And my first role was in a Christmas Carol. I played Marley, the ghost. Oh. <laughs> and so that's it, so cute. It, yeah. I played Marley, the ghost and I really got into it. And I remember just feeling like, man, this is, this is what's up. This is, this is it. This is what I want to do, you know? So, um, that's what really got me into theater. And then after that, I just, I didn't do so much theater through, you know, through elementary or uh, middle school. But once I got into high school, pretty much uh, when I was 15, I joined a, a theater, a theater, a young, a, a youth theater program that um, at, at the Oakland Ensemble Theater, which was one of the first African-American theater companies in the Bay Area in Oakland mm-hmm. that is now defunct. But that's where I started doing theater and, and kind of writing plays, um, more of collaborative device kind of work oh cool yeah based on our own you know experience in in Oakland being you know at, at that point it was you know at that time it was like at risk you know uh the, what do they call it uh multicultural theaters what the what the word was in the 90s right <laughs> which is mm. not the thing to do anymore because you know for 
very obvious, a lot of obvious reasons that that was, that was a thing at the time. Yeah. But I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity to be, have been able to, to perform and explore and find myself through theater. Mm -hmm. Do any of your other siblings do anything in the arts? Yes. My older sister is a photographer. She went to the Academy of Arts in San Francisco. So she does a lot of my stuff. Sometimes when I'm doing shows, I'm like, look, I need some good pictures. Can you come take some pictures? Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Which is nice. Um, uh, Sometimes the theater companies don't like that, but I still try to get it in there. Um, my younger sister, Carolina, is also an actor, and she, she went to Kent State in Ohio, and mm-hmm. um, she worked at Oregon Shakespeare Festival in their education program for a while, for about six seasons, for, for a while, for a long time. And she's per- now she's out here back in the Bay Area, so she's performing, and it's really cool because I get to collaborate with her, and we get to yeah. work out our, our monologues and pieces, and, yeah. which is really great. It's, it's so helpful to have a community of actors that are – actually about helping you rather than just kind of, you know, competing with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's it. My other, my brother is, is a, he's a boxer. So he has his own box. <laughs> oh, a gym that's in, cool. He has his own gym in, uh, in Oakland and he, he trains and he teaches other fighters. So he's really into that. And then my youngest sister is in business. She works for AMX. So completely opposite. Oh, wow. On the opposite spectrum. Yeah. Well, clearly talent runs in the family. That's so cool. I hope. <laughs> yeah, it does. Actually, my, I come from a very dramatic, dramatic family of like my dad and my mom. They're all very dramatic, not on stage, just in regular life. <laughs> so it was very inspirational, I can say. Um, some of the first things that my, I remember my dad telling us is like, Oh, you want to act? You want to act in a play? Okay. Act like you're cleaning the kitchen. Oh, <laughs> oh I love that. Oh my gosh. It was stuff That's like amazing. that where the real question easier. is, did it work? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And no, <laughs> because, um, my dad was like, so my dad's so eccentric. And so like, he has no filter. Uh-huh. And so it, it was good because he taught us to really fight for our dreams, to really go after what we wanted. Mm-hmm. But then when he countered what we wanted, then it was always kind of like a fight, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up, because I was doing theater in high school and I was doing a lot of theater in high school, um, where he basically told me, well, you can't go to rehearsal today. And if you do, then you can't stay here. You can't live oh. here. And, and I said, okay, well, then I'm going to choose theater over you. And I ended up moving out and I lived with my grandfather for the like last four months of high school. And then my dad was like begging me to come back home. Yeah. I'll buy you a car. I was like, no, that's BS. I'm not. And so that kind of, that's how I think now because of that, it's taught me to be really resilient and really like, you know, I got kicked out of my place at my home at the time when I was you know a kid or in high school um, because of wanting to do theater and also, you know, you know, I think in the older generation and from my dad's generation from, he's from Mexico feeling like, um, and a lot of people, you know, with the Me Too movement and all the stuff that's happened in Hollywood is like, oh, well, you're going to, you want to be an actress. You're going to end up sleeping with directors to get parts. You're going to end up, you know, doing sexual favors to get parts, which was really hurtful to me as like a 12 year old or a 15 year old. Um, but he was worried about you. But he was worried about, and that's, and I understand that it was really more of a worry of like, how are you going to support yourself 
as an artist? Like, are you going to, you know, go the Cardi B route or what are you going to do? You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but you were sure that's really cool. Like you, yeah. you knew even when you were in high yeah, school. Like, like I didn't know how it was going to happen or how I was going to go about it, but my gut told me this was what I needed to do. And mm-hmm. that's kind of been my, the theme for, for my kind of my life as an artist of just going with it gut, you know, going with that instinct and, um, you know, being at UIowa too, learning how to then, mellow that out a little bit too and be more vulnerable and, and not let that just always be the attacking force for everything. Can you talk a little bit about the program at Iowa? And I, I know some of our listeners might be thinking about an MFA um, uh-huh. and I don't really know what it's like to audition as an actor for an MFA program or, mm-hmm. or what uh, your experience was like um, when you were yeah. there. I had a good experience. I mean, it was it was scary. I think anytime when you audition for something that big where you're like, it's either make it or break it. This could make my whole, the rest of my career or it can not, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or it could be like, no, you suck. Don't go to grad school. Oh. <laughs> but, but no, you know, those are the things that kind of go through your head. The, yeah. The pressure that you put on yourself. But for me, I had just finished undergrad and it was um, at Clark Atlanta University, in, which is a HBCU in Atlanta, Georgia, which is really amazing experience. But they didn't have the strongest theater program. It was, it was pretty basic. And so I knew coming out, there were a lot of things that I was kind of like, just like, why can't I fully embody this thing? Why can't I emotionally get to these things? At home, I can do it. And when I'm in front of people, I have all these blocks. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I needed to work on more of the technique. I needed to work on the physicality of things. And I knew that uh, an MFA program would be the thing to help me do that. Um, so I prepared, you know, I did URTAS, which is like the, the regional theater, unified regional theater kind of auditions for MFA programs. Um, I think they do undergrad programs too, but I think it's mostly MFA um, and um, it was it was really kind of daunting because you have all these people. I did mine in, I didn't go to New York. I went to Chicago. And there's all these different schools there and they're all looking. I mean, there's so many of us in there. And then you have, you do this general audition in front of everybody. You do like these three monologues. And I'm, I think it's changed a little bit now because before you had to audition to get to the audition oh, in wow. front of the schools. So there was a pre-screening of that initial audition and then I think I was the only one from my group that got through. So it's like group. you go you go there and you have this first monologue that you might be eliminated like right away and you don't yes. even. Yes. Wow. So you audition for the, the like kind of like the panel, the board uh-huh. of, of the Erdas. And then once they say, yeah, great, you're good enough to go through to audition to all the, the schools that are there looking for, for students for their program. And I was the only one out of my group that got through to that audition. Wow, which was sad job. because there was yeah, which was kind of sad because I was we come you know we were coming from an HBCU yeah, and so it was like to be the one person of color out of the four that came or the five that came was kind of like kind of sucky yeah. But um, then I went through and then it was like a huge catacall pretty much and you go up and you do your thing and then at the end of it they give you a slip of paper of all the schools that are interested. Oh my gosh. You. And like, I remember this one girl from like LA, she came back, this one like very ingenue type white girl came back and she had like 20 callbacks. 
Wow. wow. I mean, like 20. And I looked at my paper and I had four. Wow. Four or five. I think I had five. And I was just happy I had like four or five because there were some people that didn't get any. So mm-hmm. it's like they made it through the first round, but then they didn't. It was like then it it just right. ended. The schools the weren't round. interested in them. or yeah. and, and, you know, later I found out that a big part of it is that most of the schools already ha- already have their candidates for their programs and they're looking to fill in the students that they don't have the types that they don't oh, have. So right. if they already have their typical like ingenue or their Latina, like leading actress or, you know, blah, 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 the leading guy or the character actor guy, then they're looking to fill like the few spaces. So it might not be that you're not good. They right. may like you. They just may not need you to fill yeah. in the program. So it's, it, but if you don't know that, you just think, man, I suck. Right. Um, what do you think about that process? Like having been I, through it and and then been through the program. Well, I think that the, I mean, I think that the process is necessary to have a process. I don't think that that process is the best process. Um, and I think that, I think what's hard about it is that for the schools and for the the students or the those of us that are coming in, artists that are auditioning, is that you see so many people at one time. Yeah. That it's really hard to get a good sense of of those artists. And on our side, it's just so quick too that it's like, how do you? How is there a follow up? How can you? If you don't, they don't get to meet you one on one. It's really hard to know. So I think the best thing is like to really choose pieces that really feel like you that you can really in, in, engage in physically and your personality and everything can come out that you can just have fun. Don't pick something that's classical or something that you think would be great, but you don't, you're not really feeling it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think that if you could go to the school and not do a huge regional audition that way, that it's, you're more like likely to get into a program. Oh yeah. That's o- interesting. Only because I think yeah. you get to meet them one-on-one. They're kind of, uh, they get to see your work. You're more, you're, you're in a more of a um, comfortable, you know, environment where you kind of have time. You're not rushing to do this thing with like a hundred other people waiting in line, you know? And they see um, you as an individual. If they right. They get to see you as an individual yeah. and get to get to know you a little bit better than just, you know, a little bit more memorable. But I also think that the the structure of, of these kind of auditions are off. I, I don't I think I don't know why we're still doing monologues for auditions. I know. I, really don't. I know. It's, yeah. It sucks. It's like you know we don't do that for playwrights. We right. Don't go, okay. <laughs> Twenty minutes. Write something good. You know. Go. Yeah. Or, you know. Or what's your what's your prepared write? You know. What did you write? I mean, ten years ago that you you know are still good at or whatever. Yeah. But to do a monologue like that you've been performing for like eons or that's it just does not it does not give you a good sense of the artist at all i've i've done i've been in auditions and i've done shows with people that were really great in an audition and then throughout the process the rehearsal process they just don't know how to create anything they don't know how to Mm -hmm. bring themselves to the work and um and that's a really difficult skill to teach someone (laughs) right i mean that's true it doesn't show you anything about how they interact with other artists on stage Exactly. And um, I think if we actually moved to doing scenes, mm-hmm. if you had a few scenes that you had to prepare and they paired you up with people and gave you like 10 minutes to work on the scene and then you go in and you, you, you know, it, go off of impulse, work off of the other person that, that gives you more information about what the type, what type of artist you are. If you can think on your feet, if you can actually connect to another person, even if you don't have, you know, 
you know, weeks to get to know them. And I think that gives you more information about the type of artistry that you ha- that you can provide and who you are, how you work, than doing a monologue in front of an imaginary person and, yeah. you know, pretending you see them. And which, you know, imagination is great. Like, you need that. But I don't think it tells you that much mm-hmm. in that environment. Yeah, I would hate to be stuck with someone for months. <laughs> like not liking them. <laughs> I'm supposed to work with this person. Oh, yeah, man. that's that's the hard part. Like we've I've done shows with people that uh, for the life of them they cannot learn their lines mm-hmm. or um, just can't look at you in the eyes. Like can't really like everything is in a bubble. They're working in a bubble based off of these ideas in themselves. Kind of more like how you would think of film. Mm-hmm. I don't like to ca- I don't like to stereotype it that way because there's some really great actors that do film that can connect to other people. But um, it's it's like they're they're interacting with themselves and they're never really fully interacting with you as their scene partner. And it's so frustrating because you can't. I mean, you can make something happen, but it's just not fully realized. Right. Um, and I think that's the the greatest thing that I learned from the program at at uh, U Iowa was that how to really connect, how to how to really uh, come out of myself and be impulsive and, and use what the other person is giving me as opposed to working so hard in your head to intellectualize the things and how you're going to say it and what I'm going to say or how, do I, how am I, how am I going to make this funny, which I think is um, when you're in the moment and you're with the other person and you're responding, you know, mm-hmm. based on what's going on, Things become funny without you trying to make them that way. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the clown doesn't think things are funny. It's it's happening to them and it's out of their control. But it's from being present in that moment that the audience and watching it is like, oh, my gosh, it's hilarious. So you mentioned film. Can you talk about um, like what is it you love about theater that you can't get from other mediums? Uh, well, I think what, what I love about theater is just the rush of going on stage every night and not knowing what's going to happen. Hmm. Does it ever stop being terrifying? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. No. I think that there's a difference between terrifying of like, I'm going to have a good time. Let's see what happens. Oh, sh- I have butterflies in my stomach. But there's always a sense of like, I, I know the map yeah. that I'm going to travel on. It might It might diverge a little bit. It might get a little different but I I understand the landscape. Mm. And then there's a terrified of not knowing what the hell you're doing. (laughs) And Oh, I don't know my lines or Oh shit. Where's my cue? Because I'm on my phone backstage playing, you know, you know, I don't know, candy crush or (laughs) checking my likes on Facebook. That's, that's, that's different. (laughs) So I think there's an, there's an amount of discipline or focus that you really need to, to have when, when doing theater. But what I love about it is that you can really play. You're, and there's audience there that every night they might be really quiet. Um, and sometimes you have to work a little harder or it's just a different type of show. And then other nights they're really loud and you're finding the ebb and flows of the, of the, of the laughter in the crowd of how to, when you know to come in. You know, it's, it's a song and dance pretty much mm-hmm. that's live every night. And I love the energy of that. And, and I love um, the unexpected of, you know, what can happen in those moments. Um, and especially when things go wrong, I think that that's really interesting too. It may seem like a nightmare for maybe for the playwrights and the director, <laughs> <laughs> but for the actors, it's just gold. Sometimes it's, it's just that thing that you're, you're just kind of like, 
all right, well, that just happened. The whole table just fell. Now I have to pick it up or oh now I have God. to, it becomes part of the scene. And when you ignore those, those things that happen, it's when it, it becomes really obvious to the, to the audience. That, yeah. Oh, that's weird. That's not supposed to happen. And, um, I remember when I was doing um, the show at Chaka and women laughing alone with salad, there was a few times we have these scenes at the beginning of the show. I don't know if you're familiar with the show. It's all based on that salad meme <laughs> of women smiling and eating salad because we're just so happy. By themselves. <laughs> By themselves, you know, with tank tops on and water bottles. Um that we had to do this thing where we're like progressively eating salad faster and faster and just laughing for no apparent reason altogether. And there was a few times where we like almost choked on a piece of salad oh or a, a cherry tomato. And you're like trying to laugh and you have it like stuck in the back of your throat. And you're like <clears throat> trying to cough it out at the same time. <laughs> just those moments of looking at each other like, okay, we might die right now. And the audience just cracking up because they're just thinking that we're being in the moment, which we are being in the moment, that it's just part of what we're doing. Or, uh, you know, there was one night where we had this uh, threesome scene in the show. It was a really surreal threesome scene <laughs> with like, you know, emojis in the background being projected off of the, the, <laughs> the, the stage in different areas that were reflective. Mm. And we're doing like this very gymnastic type threesome thing where like, I'm up on my, you know, my hands are on the floor and like wheelbarrow and the other girls behind me, like pretending to fist me and all this kind of <laughs> Really fun stuff that I think you guys would have enjoyed. Um, <laughs> it was really funny. But at the end of it, as it's winding down, the guy pulls out the water bottle and he like is supposed to spray it on us that he's coming on us, right? And for some reason, he had a different water bottle that night and he kind of like really squeezed it really hard. Oh, so no. it sprayed to the back of the stage <laughs> against the wall. So we didn't know this, but there was a huge puddle behind the sofa where oh, we were no. at. He walks out to go get some beer and get us something to eat. And I, myself and the other actress on stage, her name is Songo, were having this whole like bitchy. I was the, she was the girlfriend and I was the girl that he was fantasizing about. And so we're having this bitchy exchange about like, oh, you feel so comfortable in your body and all this stuff, right? And I'm walking around the stage trying to get dressed because we're like in, you know, underwear and like, you know, teddies or whatever. And I slip on oh, the no. puddle of water. And I had a sprained ankle at the time. So I had a brace on my ankle, no shoes oh. on. And I go flying backwards. And right behind me was the wall of the stage. Oh, which my is God. It kind of looked like a, like a club. So it's, it's kind of reflective the back of the, the walls and uh -huh. everything's really reflective. And I, I don't know how, but I caught myself on the back of the wall and I just let out a scream and the mom was like, ah, and I held myself to the back <laughs> of the wall and she's just, she's looking at me like panicked and still talking. Oh my and God. you know, while she's talking, she's like, Are you okay? And I'm like, and I get up and I'm, but the audience was all like, <gasps> I can just see them like with terror in their eyes that they knew. And, but it was great. And after that, after that, that uh during intermission the director ran backstage like are you okay oh my god that's terrifying I'm, like, yeah, I'm fine but thinking about it after that there was like a really weird like high of not knowing what was gonna happen that I almost killed myself and I didn't and we just kept moving through it and it just gave a different energy to the scene that wow. was really mm. kind of amazing and great that we did it 
that I didn't kill myself and like sprained my ankle again on stage in front of everyone. Yeah. You just never know. <laughs> you no, just never... So, dangerous. I, yeah, so I, yeah, so I feel like when you're doing film, like you can do the scene over and over and over and they edit it and they find different things and they highlight things and they zoom in on your face and all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, in theater, you don't have that opportunity. You either, you do it in the moment and that's it. If it's ugly and you're crying and snot's coming out of your nose, you're going to have to figure it out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're ugly crying because that's what you're feeling that night, then that's what it is, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I love that. So coming from Iowa where, you know, a lot of us playwrights had new plays just hot off the printers, just in all his brokenness. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to know what's different about, you know, working on new plays versus a lot older, more canonical plays. Well, I, I think, you know, initially when I started doing new work, I was really scared. Mm-hmm. Because of when you have a classical play or a work that's been done, you have a sense of the roadmap. You have a sense of the character and you can fill in the dots to bring yourself to it, right? But then you get this new play that has never been done that sometimes the playwright and the director, they don't know what, well, I wrote this, but I'm not exactly sure what I want here. Let's figure it out. Let's play and find what it is. And that can be really scary because then you really have to bring your full self. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be only open to to failing, to playing, mm-hmm. to taking those risks. That sometimes when you're doing new work, it's like you feel like the, I mean, when you're doing uh, contemporary work that's been done a lot or classical plays, you feel like, oh, well, this is how this person did it. This is how this, other, you have people to study off of in a way. And you're you're pretty making up the pretty much making up the roadmap roadmap as you go along when you're doing new work. Mm. So it really gives the the artist the opportunity to build something, to create something, um, to push a little harder to to see what happens creatively, which I really fell in love with doing at, uh, at you know at the University of Iowa, which was something that was new to me and scary, um, but I found a, a really great freedom in it to be able to talk to the playwright as well, like, as you know, um, to, to ask them like, okay, so what do you mean by this? I don't get this moment. Yeah. And, and for, a lot of times the playwright's like, I have no idea. <laughs> right. The playwright's like, I don't know. I thought it was cool. So I wrote it. Or like, okay, cool. So, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I saw this thing in a movie one time where my uncle said this thing and I thought, well, that's weird. Let me put that into play. You know, and you're like, okay, so now what do we do? <laughs> Yeah, but it's but it's it's real, right? That's real life. That's how things happen. And mm. um, so I found a lot of joy doing that. It was scary. It was um, it was joyful, and it pushes you to your limitations of like. I think one of the scariest moments for me doing like the new Iowa play play festival was, um, I did the show. I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the playwright. That's bad. But um, during one of those, we had a scene where I had to I had to make a recipe of seal pie, like a like a New Finland type recipe, <laughs> and literally it that, kept was changing. that you lost me. Was that me? What was it? You lost me. That play. Seal, yeah, yeah, seal. yeah, yeah. That was seal pie. But I was like the aunt that was making like the all these recipes, and at the top of the show, that's what I was doing. <laughs> and literally, I got a new recipe like every other day, and I think that day that we were gonna do the show. <laughs> I got a new recipe oh and I was freaking out oh, wow. because it was like pies and then it was like, it was just like, I was like, oh my gosh. So I, I just remember the feeling of like, man, 
there's no room for taking a break at all. You just have to go with it. Mm. And hopefully you remember the recipe, oh the seal fire recipe. It can change at any moment. Yeah, what you're doing. And especially when you're on stage and you're opening a show and you're by yourself and you have to have energy and you have to bring the audience into the world yeah. of the play. Mm-hmm. That's really scary. I don't know if I I don't know if I was successful in that, but I, I did my best to 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 make that work. Did that um, do you think that it has changed how you work on like Shakespeare that you have this experience with new plays? Yes. Because for me, Shakespeare is always a new play. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> for me, it, it always is. I don't have an extensive background in classical work. I feel like I do now a little bit more. But even then, like when I go into a process for Shakespeare or even auditioning, I have to do a lot of work before it uh-huh. because I don't, I, ha- I feel like I have to crack the code of the language every time. And even when, even when I do have experience with certain language, as you, as you all know, um, doing new work, classical work sometimes it varies the context is different in each of his plays yeah and I think that's what's really cool about him and so you know great about him but it's also really hard because you know this one word here means something completely different in another play within the context of that world mm-hmm. so for me it's always um, taking that risk figuring it out um, also like trying my best to look at other contexts, you know, watching maybe a movie that may have a King Lear that's about King Lear or whatever the play is, just to get an essence of like, what does this mean? What does this sentence actually mean? Like I can look it up and research it, but how does it transform when someone says it? And and plays are so much about it's a practicum, you know, it's so much about how it's put up and how you see it as opposed to reading it. Reading it for me doesn't um do it doesn't always do it justice. Mm-hmm. And I can't get a good idea of what the playwright always wants when it hasn't been interpreted, when the vision isn't realized yet. Um, so, so theater, I mean, so classical work like Shakespeare for me is always like new work. I'm like, huh, what does this mean? Hmm. Especially too, since it's such a European, um, so, you know, it's a European white kind of art form, yeah, yeah. playwright. And that's not my world at all. And and I think that's what was one of the challenges for me as a as a Latina actress of trying to figure out how do I how do I how do I fit in this mm. world? Because technically I would have been the slave or like the, you know, even as a woman, I wouldn't have been part of the I would never have had the chance to do this. Um, but then I have to figure out how do I as an artist empower myself and fit myself into this world without feeling like I have to change who I am Mm -hmm. completely assimilate or alter who I am, but really bring my essence completely from, you know, my life experience into this character and not feel um, like I'm trying to put something on or I'm trying to be someone that I'm not. Um, So that's always challenging for me. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but it's but it's fun to then be able to bring my own spin on it and 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 try my best to pronounce things the way they're supposed to be pronounced, <laughs> and, you know, and uh, oh, yeah, that's that, uh, you know, that's what that means. I trust that we'll do that, you know, whatever. Um, so it's challenging, but also it, it's like it's like approaching new work for me personally. Well, I do think I'm there's sure. something to be said for like Shakespeare's so old, you know, it's like. It's just so old mm-hmm. and everybody who witnessed what it was originally is so long dead, <laughs> you know, yeah, that right. it's like, 
it really can be new every time I think yeah I think so too and then you but you know then you definitely have people that are like this is how Shakespeare is done right right this is how the correct way to do it which is intimidating for someone like me that doesn't have a like I wasn't you know I teach kids that are have been in Shakespeare camp since they were six yeah and by the time they're 10, they're like, well, my first role was Romeo. Oh, and my second role was oh Troilus. And then my third role, my favorite one is blah, 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 blah. And you're like, I don't, I don't think I've read that play yet. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool story, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I learn a lot from them. But it, it can be intimidating if I, you know, I, I don't have that experience. Just tell them you were the ghost in, in Christmas Carol. <laughs> right? And so I'm like, well, I was a ghost. Now be quiet and go learn your lines, right? <laughs> um. But yeah, but I, I enjoy it. It's it's always a, something new. I'm learning something new from when I do Shakespeare and very, very challenging, but it takes a lot of preparation for me. As as I think anyone, even those that are really experienced, it just takes a lot of preparation to do Shakespeare. Um, before we move on mm-hmm. to our glistens, just based on what you said, what advice would you give to our writers and how collaboration can work between writers and actors? I think my... Uh biggest thing or the most one of the most important things is to stay open throughout the process mm-hmm. to really um, know that things are going to change once you have bodies and people you know artists reading your work things change things sound different I, I think that just the same way for artists when we're we're rehearsing at home and we're going through lines in our head and then you get into a rehearsal space and you're like oh I didn't think about that or that's different that be open to things changing. Don't be so stuck on this thing that you initially wrote or this initial idea about it. And, you know, be open to the fact that it's going to change and it, it might change drastically and then come back to the thing that you had originally, you know, you know, you don't know what the journey is going to be, but be open to it. And I think when, when writers aren't open to that, it's really hard for that, for the artists to then uh, be free to play and to create. Um, because it can be a little stifling. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's fine if that's part of the process too, you know, as long as that there's some ebb and flow with that. I think the other thing that is, uh, that I have seen where there's a lot of uh, playwrights writing stories of different community communities from different marginalized communities or Latinx communities or the African-American experience, that it's really important to do your research. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the obvious thing that everybody thinks, but you'd be surprised at how many times um, I have heard from other friends that are working in shows and seen myself where, where sometimes playwrights or directors are cutting and pasting experiences mm-hmm. of people in the community mm-hmm. and not going out into the community to have those valuable conversations with those, with those, uh, with those community members, whether it's the homeless, whether it's uh, if you're writing a story about someone who, who works as a maid, who works, you know, as a working class, you know, person, um, for upper upper class Americans, whether it's white Americans, wh- whatever it may be, but really do the research because the last thing you want to do is to write something that is an idea from an interview that you read somewhere, but it's not fully fleshed out and you're just giving kind of a, a two-dimensional view of this community that doesn't do them justice. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, recently a friend of mine was doing a show that had to do with immigrants in a specific area in the South and the playwright kind of cut and paste uh, 
uh, dialogue or a interview that was that, an interview that was out there in uh, in the paper from an Im immigrant's perspective, and he cut and pasted it and put it into a show, and like used that as the dialogue. Wow! And um, because I guess that playwright was didn't have the time to do the homework or didn't know. I, I don't know if it was like I don't know who to reach out to talk to this to talk about this mm -hmm. with. But I think it was just like lack of doing the work. And kind of counting um, on like, oh, nobody's going to know any different. Right. <laughs> or my or my Latinx uh, actors will fill in the blanks. Oh, yeah. Them, you know, or, right. or they won't know that I didn't do that, but they'll fill in the blanks. We'll figure it out as we go. And that doesn't do that community justice, especially with the political climate that we're in right now. Yeah. Um, that there's so many... Uh, <laughs> lies and not truths being told about communities and people yeah. and just a whole slew of things that we need to have integrity and we need to really be transparent and and you know if we're gonna write a story about a you know if I were to write a story about a Korean family then I'm gonna be like hey Sarah what's up girl <laughs> so tell me a little bit about you know like you have to have those conversations that's how we learn and that's how we can you know, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with someone of a different culture writing about a, another mm -hmm. culture. I think that then you have to be really well informed. You have to immerse yourself. You have to have those difficult conversations, depending on the topic. But you can't just write it for funsies and then be like, okay, well, someone else is going to fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. it doesn't it? Doesn't work that way. But so I, I think yeah. that's the, the the two biggest things that I've learned. To also to pick to pick a a, a director who really understands your vision for your work. Because even at UIowa and just working on new works outside of here in the Bay Area, uh, oftentimes, sometimes what happens is that the director will have a vision of what they think is best for the, the, the work, the playwrights, you know, the playwrights work. And it's completely opposite of what the playwright wants. Oh, yeah. And it's mm -hmm. completely opposite. And, and so then there's this constant like butting of heads of the playwright and mm. the director. Because, you know, the director feels artistically, I know what's best for this. But the playwright's like, yeah, but that's not what I'm saying. That's not my message. Right. You know, so. It, yeah. Yeah. So I'm oh, sure you guys, you all know a little bit more about that. Yeah, I feel like, I feel bad but, in those situations where, like, I feel like actors probably in the, in the room. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you guys are, like, watching two parents fight. Or I was going to say that. It's that like that mom and dad are fighting. Like, because we're, I don't know. Or that kind of feeling of, um. I don't know. Do you feel like trust feels broken in that moment? Or? Um, not. I mean, I think sometimes it's cool to see that. I'm gonna be real. <laughs> yeah. Because no, uh -huh. really, I'm serious. I'm gonna be real because sometimes you're. Th I'm thinking it in my head like this is jacked up. This is not what she's saying because when we had our table work, blah 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 mm -hmm. blah blah, right? And then for that conversation to happen, then you're like, yeah. And then, you know, it's great for, and that's part of the new work process yeah. for the actor to be like, yeah, I feel like this is um, the opposite. Or I feel like as a Latina actress, I feel like this is taking away from my power, but whatever it is, you know, this is kind of disenfranchising this group, which is not what we're trying mm. to do. Uh, you know, hopefully the director will also be open to that. And sometimes, and I'm going to give, you know, credit where credit is due. Sometimes they're just not aware that they're mm -hmm. doing that. Mm -hmm. And if no one says anything, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you learn in the reviews later that that's, you know, the input. But um, I think it's, it's important to have those conversations. Now, it should be a constructive conversation. It shouldn't be about like, oh, you're an awful director. or This is not what I want. And, 
you know, that, that is very uncomfortable. That's like, okay, we need to take our 10. The stage manager needs to call the 10 right now so we can leave the room because this is very uncomfortable. Yeah. I think like how to have creative disagreements in a way that's constructive mm. is one yes. of the hardest things that we have to learn. I feel like you know, yeah. we're all still learning that all the time. Yeah, definitely. It's hard. I agree. It's really hard. And I think if we focus on not like winning the argument, mm-hmm. but actually trying to troubleshoot and find a solution that works for everyone, I think that's, and, and also like, you know, being respectful and like, just like, if you're going to be start calling people out of their names or yelling and stuff, yeah, we're done with the conversation yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you start triggering people or, you know, I think there's ways to do it where you're still having a heated debate, but it's not aggressive or to the point where people feel like, okay, I think she's going to punch me right now. She's really close to my face type thing, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't been in a lot of those types types of situations, but definitely, you know, where things get a little tense and you're, and you're like, okay, I probably shouldn't be hearing this conversation right now. Maybe we should leave the room so they can have their artistic, you know, debate on artistic differences, not in front of the children. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right not in front of the kids we're gonna have scars and be traumatized and then we're gonna pick sides and it's gonna be all bad have to go to therapy right and then we're gonna be talking about it backstage when our cue comes and we're gonna miss our cues wow so yeah yep well i think it's time to move into glistens yeah so Yay. regina at the end of every show we share <laughs> something from the week that we want to hold on to something that resonated it could be Really anything, music or a story from the news or something you read. Something that yeah, go ahead. really resonated with me. So I as I think you both know I was in Canada for a vacation, mm-hmm. a much needed vacation. And um, we have this here too, but it's not something I usually do. They ha- It was like in the mountains, so it was colder weather. So they have like a steam room and a hot tub and like a pool and all this stuff. But I was going to the steam room and the hot tub every day That's after so a long nice. day of like hiking and just like doing stuff in the day. And I, and I was doing some work while I was out there too, like on just like, you know, a little bit of work on my computer. And to be able to sit in a hot tub and a steam room is so relaxing. I mean, I felt like I was so relaxed. If I could do that every day, if I could just, just the idea of self-care yeah. and being able to sit in a hot tub and relax and not think about... I have to be somewhere in 20 minutes mm. or everything's so rushed. We're, you know, taking a bath. I guess here we'd be taking a bath. I prefer the jets and all that. But <laughs> being able to just soak and sit there mm-hmm. and not worry about anything, there's something so relaxing and so luxurious about that that we that I don't get to do on a daily basis mm-hmm. that I was yearning for. And it took me back to one of my other earliest memories of, taking a bath, having my grandmother take me a bath mm-hmm. in her t- her old school tub because she used to live in a Victorian house in San Francisco of just sitting in the tub and having someone pour water over your head and massaging your hair, your, you know, your scalp while they're soaping your oh, hair yeah. Yeah. of how relaxing that is of just being able to have the time to sit in the tub until it gets cold. And then you want to put more cold water, you know, hot water in. Of like, yeah, I need that more. I need more of that yeah. in my life. Yeah, definitely. Oh my god. So that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, that's amazing. That my For moment. my birthday, I gave myself like a a massage, like a full. I went into those like massage oh. um, places, and 
I was like, this is the greatest feeling. I was just like, all my <laughs> tension, all my stress, my forehead was like relaxing and the, all yeah. the stress was just like melting away. And I was like, oh, living in a stressful city sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally, like you feel all of that melt away. Yeah. And I was like, wow, yeah. I, I went to work on Friday. I came back on Thursday and I went to work on Friday and I was like, Hey everybody! You have a you have a bloody nose, and you pooped your pants. That's okay. I work at an elementary school. By the way, thank you for the context. <laughs> you pooped your pants. That's all right. We'll call your mom. She'll be here in two hours. It'll dry. You know, whatever. <laughs> you know, kids crying about. You know, I got hit. Okay, it's all right. Say sorry. Go back to class. All right. You know, it was like a completely different vibe for me that I haven't been able to kind of relax that fully in a long time yeah. or you know where you're like Sarah when you're getting a massage and you're like I don't know who's touching me right now but whoever hands these are I want to marry you <laughs> you can be in my life yes you know, turn around and see the you know older older Vietnamese lady I'm like I don't care I'll take you <laughs> you know yeah you and your hands let's it's go true you love know? Yeah. true love seriously so yeah that that is my glisten moment Great. Um, my glisten is yesterday I went on a hike, um, a friend of mine with my friend of mine, I haven't seen like over a year. And I was like, Oh, we should go on a hike. It'll be nice, easy walk. And we can talk and catch up. And, and we were, it was like a really long hike. Um, it was at the Griffith park and I was like, Hmm, we have to get back to the car soon. So I'm like looking at the Google map and I was like, huh, we're on this nice big paved road but hey it looks like there's a shortcut here um, <laughs> a very little tiny line that's just going cutting through into the parking lot i was like hey let's take this hey let's take this uh, oh shortcut. no so at first we're like all right this is pretty easy easy and then the incline starts to get real steep oh my god so Sarah. i'm like wait going up or going oh. down going down oh my god so oh. i was me and my friend were like I was like, okay, this is now getting really dangerous. And we're like on, we're like, imagine you're on like the edge of Griffith Park, you know, the the, the big mountain. And you're like, you see all of Burbank and you're, and then I'm like, I'm oh. going to fall. You know, I'm so I'm like <laughs> slipping and sliding down this hill. And I'm was like, was it a path? Were you following a path? There was footprints, but I don't think it was <laughs> footprints. Oh my God. And I'm like, I honestly oh, no. thought like halfway, like I, first of all, I didn't know there was going to be an end to this. I was just like halfway through and I'm like, I think we're going to die on Griffith Island. <laughs> How I'm going to die is on oh, this stupid God. hiking, feeling all LA, you know, I'm like, oh, this is just LA. We're going to like catch up and just have a nice relaxing time. And no, that was, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And so we make it to the end. I'm like covered in dust. I'm bleeding. My elbows are like, I had fallen like a gazillion times. My elbows oh my are bleeding. God. And, and I just like, we're like, I'm like limping to my car. My, my friend were cars. <laughs> <laughs> and I were like standing, I, I literally sat in the car and I was like, I never thought I would see my car again. Oh, no. I, never, I like drive home and then I drop my friend out. I go home and I'm like, I take a shower and I'm, like I just see the dirt and dust is all, <laughs> and I'm like I almost died. Was your friend oh mad at you for suggesting the shortcut? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. Oh good. <laughs> I, don't think so. I mean, 
Look, your friend, your friend was just happy you both yeah, survived. Oh my god! And I'm sure as you were going down that hill of death, yeah, right? You were like, "Wow, everything is slowing down right now." <laughs> oh my god! I, I was like, "I'm not gonna get married. I'm not gonna have kids. <laughs> do these things that people talk about because I'm gonna die on this hill." Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Anyways, I survived and I made it, and we're now doing this recording. So <laughs> that is my goal. I'm so glad you survived. Yes. Yeah. Well, mine is um, I'm reading The Namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri. Have you guys ever read anything by her? She wrote this, she won the Pulitzer for a um, collection of I've short stories, <laughs> which I haven't read. But anyway, I'm about halfway through. I'm really enjoying it. It's about it mostly focuses on this one guy, but it's real. But it's like about the whole family of mm-hmm. from India who moved to Boston in, I guess, like the nineteen sixties. But then now, now it's in the nineties. Anyway, I just really like reading novels. I want to do more of that. I'm just okay. remembering how um, it's such a different experience from yeah. other art forms yeah. because you're like. Your your mind is going on a on a journey and and you see things in the story that resonate with you at like such a deeply personal level that you know no yeah. other reader is having the same experience, but somehow it's giving a similar to experience, like that's personal to other people. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I used to read so much growing up. I mean, I would spend hours. My dad would take my books away from me. He's like, you need to do, do some chores. <laughs> you know, my dad's, you know, he's a um, Mexican dad. Um, stuff like, he would hide my books sometimes. He was crazy. But anyway, so, um, but I just remember how it just like gave me life. Yeah, yeah. It just was some, it was like re-energizing and to like have all these, I, I love tech, uh, not tech, what am I trying to say? I love um, sci-fi as oh, well. Oh yeah, me too. I read a lot of sci-fi growing up. And it's just like the idea of worlds and, and being able to, to kind of immerse yourself in this world of this book is, is amazing and really kind of liberating and uh, healing as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, you guys should check her out. Yeah, definitely. I will. Yeah. But did you die by the end of the reading that book? <laughs> well, I'm only halfway die? through, so it could still happen. Okay. There's still time. There's still time. There's still time to have a, <laughs> a fall down a hill somewhere. Either I'll fall down a hill or I'll end up in a hot tub. Oh. There you go. That's that's the oh, beginning my. of a really good story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for well, having Regina, me. Regina, thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, so remember, folks, so this summer, make sure to catch Regina as Rosalind and San Francisco Shakespeare Festival's Free Shakes in the Park tour of their original musical adaptation of As You Like It. It's running from July 7th through September 22nd. For more info, uh, visit www.sfshakes.org. And to learn more about Regina and just kind of what she's up to, make sure to check out her website at www.reginamorones.com. Yeah, listeners, you have no excuse because I'm looking at those dates. You have all of August, <laughs> most of July, and most of September to catch that show. So if you live in the Bay and Area. It's free. And it's free. Wow. Yeah. So go see it. And if you haven't already, remember to subscribe and share the podcast. We are now on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, you name it. We're probably on it. And then as always, feel free to reach out to us on social 
at Beckett's Babies to share your thoughts on all things theater and playwriting. All right. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Well, thanks, Regina. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks. Hopefully I get to see you all in person someday. Let's make that happen. Right? Yes, please. Reunion. (laughs) 